How are music therapists changing the lives of people in Canada? What is the latest research and trends? You are tuned into the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast, and we will explore these questions with our guests today. Let's get started. Welcome to the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast. We are your hosts, Adrian and Kathy. Today, our guest, Esther Thane, will discuss her Meet in the Music, music therapy curriculum for children with autism and diverse needs. She will share with us some examples of program content, data collection, documentation, and clinical report generation using the curriculum. Esther also tells us more about the Unitas TI program management platform for music therapists. And here's a little more about Esther. Esther has specialized since 1996 in the field of autism and special needs. She is the executive director of ET Music Therapy, leading a team of music therapists serving over 120 families, implementing the MITM curriculum. Esther has taught in the Bachelor of Music Therapy program at Capilano University for over 10 years and is an Austin vocal psychotherapist. In 2017, Esther received the iconic Women Creating a Better World for All Award presented by the Women Economic Forum in New Delhi, India. This year, Esther received the Canadian Association for Music Therapy Peer Recognition Award for Innovation and Advocacy. Welcome to the podcast, Esther. We're so excited to have you join us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here on a summer day. Great. Um, I know that you have an amazing uh, program curriculum. It's called Meet in the Music Curriculum for Autism. And I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about what sort of content is included in that curriculum. Certainly. Uh, So the curriculum is kind of separated into two segments. There is um, in total about 400 programs that Meet in the Music entails. About half of them are actual interventions, songs, original activities, compositions of interactions that can be utilized within the music therapy session. Um, And those programs will be multimedia. So they include everything that the music therapist needs in order to facilitate those interventions, such as picture cards that you can download and print off, audio files, uh, sheet music for all of the original uh, interventions and songs. There are videos, modeling videos, there's training videos. Um, So the curriculum is broken down into kind of our typical skill domains that we're working on in developmental music therapy. So it covers the skill domains, communication, cognitive, social, physical, emotional. There is a um, a skill domain for adapted music instruction, which is called therapeutic music instruction. Actually, Nancy McMaster came up with that name. And because I feel like music therapists do so much more than just adapted music lessons when we're, you know, engaging in that in our sessions. And then there is a segment on training videos specifically. And these are videos of me working with clients to help uh, essentially organize all of the different strategies and techniques that we might utilize when we're working with the autistic individual, such as how to create curiosity in the client, how to establish um, vocal initiation, vocalizations, vocal conversations, how do we establish 
flexibility because we know a lot of individuals with autism can have some rigidity in what they want to do or what they want us to be able to do um, as far as our music offerings in the session. So things like that. Uh, the other segments. Oh, and the other thing I wanted to mention is since the pandemic, I actually went through all the interventions and I tagged the ones that could be used for telehealth. So mm. you can filter the curriculum by specific interventions that have um, compilations of picture cards that can be shared on the screen, for instance, and in, in interactions that uh, are going to be appropriate for Zoom sessions, where there is more of a call and response sort of formulation to it. Then the second half of the curriculum is a music therapy goal bank. So there are close to 200 preloaded music therapy based goals and developmental progressional objectives that are input in the curriculum that a music therapist can right away take and assign to their clients and kind of take the guesswork of out of how to formulate um, goals and objectives. You know, that was one thing that when I was on um, faculty at Capilano University, that a lot of students would come to me and ask and they struggled with was how to write proper goals, measurable goals, um, progressional objectives, etc. And everything within the system, including the goal bank and the interventions can all be editable. So it's really not going to box that music therapist into a corner mm. um, and say, you have to use this curriculum as is, or the goals, the wording as is, they can all be edited, manipulated, um, deleted and changed, and you can actually add your own goals into the system as well. So it's a highly flexible curriculum and program. Wow. And so what is the age group of uh, the people with autism who might be clients or music therapists can use this with? Great question. So you can really start using the curriculum with early intervention. So age four, and really depending on the developmental level, of course, keeping in mind uh, dignity, respect and appropriateness, you can really use a lot of the uh, the different songs, you know, there's like six hello songs and uh, goodbye songs. I know that's something that we as music therapists all really kind of get stagnant in is using the same ones over and over again. And they really progress developmentally as well. So I would say, you know, typically people will use the curriculum up till the age of 13, 14. And okay. then at that point, we're moving more towards maybe more songwriting based um, interventions and mm. learning an instrument, etc. Okay, yeah. And so who uses the curriculum? We have sole practitioners that will utilize the, the system all the way up to larger music therapy agencies that have maybe five or 10 music therapists uh, or even 15 music therapists working within the company, uh, music therapists that are working within treatment centers, therapy centers, uh, private schools, the public school uh, system, etc. Wow. And so we've got we've got music therapists actually that use the system all across Canada, all across the United States and in Australia as well. That's amazing. 
Wow, it sounds um, just so thorough in terms of what you've included in Meet in the Music, um, especially there's 50% of one, 50% of the other, kind of like 400 uh, programs within that. And the fact that they're customizable. So thinking about those age groups that you mentioned, uh, really looking at, okay, so this might be suitable, but letting the music therapy um, therapist, excuse me, really look at it, play with it and see how it matches their own uh, clients needs you know I'm sure they're using it far beyond the age of 14 well I think so and you yeah. know also within the the program I've also included my relaxation package mm. um, so quite a few years ago I published in Felicity Baker's um, book voice work in music therapy and that really kind of helped me flesh out the process. It was something that I had been refining with my work in the school district for about 15 years. And so I ended up recording as well uh, multiple different versions of the relaxation. So there's one that's only five minutes long that might be used to ease transitions for kiddos with autism. There's a 10-minute version, a 20-minute version to transition back into your next activity. And in the case of the school system, it was to transition to your next class. And there's also a 20 minute version um, to help induce sleep. So of course, that one is one that parents will use at home with the children and be able to bond with them in a different way to lie in the bed with them and snuggle and experience this auditory relaxation. And what's a little different about it is it's it's actually called rooted in music, but it's a vocal led relaxation. So this was something that I found, you know, out there, you can find lots of relaxations, but often there's the, the layer of music underneath and then the facilitator's voice talking over top. And for me somehow, and what I found in my clients and doing this with hundreds of clients, that there was a real disconnect between the spoken voice and the music. So what I did was create a piano accompaniment with a very consistent ostinato line on the first layer that goes throughout the entire relaxation. And then I am singing the directives. And so this really helps, I feel anyway, in my experience that the clients that I did that with, they were really adhering and gravitating towards the sung voice more and following those directives. So the parents end up using the relaxations actually for themselves when they're stressed out and when they just need, you know, a moment of self-regulation and a contemplative, you know, time by themselves. So absolutely. I mean, there's components in it that could be used by adults as well. And those that are supporting the autistic individual. So you have so many different resources and I love it. Like I'm getting excited listening to you about all of the different ways mm -hmm. that you're supporting, not only your clients, not only their parents and families, but also, um, of course, the music therapists. And so I'm seeing all these different parts and I'm wondering what led you to bring it all together and to share it as a curriculum? Yeah, that's quite a story. You know, I was working in the field of autism here in Vancouver in 1996. And that's kind of when I graduated from my internship. And there weren't a lot of resources out there for how to work with kiddos with autism. There weren't a lot of music therapists even working with autism at all, just maybe special needs in general. And back then, 
the kiddos that I were seeing were the ones that were, you know, very intense cases of autism. Those were the individuals that were getting diagnosed, you know, 25 years ago, um, were ones individuals that had severe aggressive issues, self-regulation issues, you know, people who were biting and pinching and, you know, needed three to five aids to, to help assist them through their day and help guide them. So I was really doing this kind of independently, solely, and I was a sole practitioner. And as you can imagine, as so many of us music therapists experience, I started to experience burnout. But I absolutely still had a passion for music therapy, and I had a passion for the autism community. I absolutely adore the autistic community, and I knew that I didn't want to leave the profession or leave that community. But I didn't know what what to do and how to shift from that. Uh, Very serendipitously, at that same time, I was seeing a client who had brought in an RDI consultant, a relationship development intervention consultant from Portland, Oregon, and flew them out for a week to follow them throughout all of their therapies. And she came and saw a music therapy session. And she was involved with this therapy software documentation called Mundo Pato. And the documentation system was Unitas TI. And she said, I think she went back to the CEO and said, I think we found our music therapist to put a music therapy curriculum online. And I honestly, I dug my heels in for about 18 months. The CEO tried to convince me and I thought, no, the music therapy community doesn't need this. Who am I to say that I've got all these interventions that they would want all of this, you know, and everything was still up in my brain because all I was doing was practicing all the time. And I hadn't written anything down. Um, I was seeing far too many clients because the demand was there. So I was seeing between 30 to 35 clients, one hour sessions a week. And so as you can imagine, of course that, you know, I encountered burnout. And, and so when I finally decided, okay, you know, when I looked at the system, when I saw the flexibility, the fact that every music therapist could put their own stylistic touch Mm -hmm. on it, that I wasn't forcing them to use things as is, I opened up and became more receptive to inputting my curriculum. And as a result, it was also very serendipitous because it allowed me to get out of direct clinical contact with clients and start to train other music therapists to join the family within our music therapy company at ET Music Therapy. And having the curriculum online made it super easy. You know, our senior music therapist, Emily Nakarado, she she came from Ontario. Before she came to start her internship, I gave her access to the curriculum for about three or four months. And I said, here, learn this. And so on that first day of her internship, she could sit down like Nordoff Robin style and sit at the piano and play all of the music while I was engaging in the clients. And it just fast tracked our training so much. Um, So I really was able to see the efficacy from a personal standpoint. I could slowly start to extrapolate myself from 
direct clinical care and be more of a supervisor and a support to my team and be able to grow my team so that I didn't also feel like, well, you know, if I stop practicing, you know, I've helped hundreds or thousands of children in the last, you know, 25 years, but the buck stops there. And I didn't want, I wanted it to continue on. So it was just really lovely for me to be able to remove myself from direct care, but at the same time, have a tool, have a curriculum that I can train other music therapists on and, and be able to, in our clinical trainings, you know, when somebody subscribes to the curriculum and the platform, I'm doing a clinical training over zoom. So I've been actually doing zoom for like seven years, um, you know, and that's really lovely to have this tool and still be involved and a big part of the community in a different way. And I feel like this is the thing now that I was meant to do. And this is my offering ultimately this culmination within my careers to be able to offer this system and offer this curriculum and everything that I kind of learned through trial and error over the years uh, to be able to share it with the, with the music therapy community. Yeah, well, and what a gift. And I love that serendipitous moment and, and your hesitancy, yet thoughtful reflection and deciding, is this the right thing to do? And clearly, yes, it was and is. I often ask this question to our guests, if you could tell us a story about one of the children and we and you mentioned about you know, the relaxation programs and, and how that supports the families. But is there a story you could, you would be able to share with us today? Oh, gosh, there, there's many, many stories, of course. You know, I would say that I, I have one, um, I have a couple of clients that I still see. So um, just to kind of clarify, I'm not completely out of clinical work, but I have a few endearing clients that I've continued to work with over the years. You know, one of the clients that I've worked with, we we started working when he was, I think about three years old together. And he is now 17. So we've really evolved through the entire curriculum. We're at a point now where we are uh, learning guitar. Okay. And this was a client who came in for the first year and was so the poor guy, he was so dysregulated. And he would scream for most of his session, most of his hour session. And we have at one of our studio locations, this really large tone drum. And it's, uh, I think it's like five feet long. And you can turn it over on its side. And the client can lie on top of the tone drum. Mm -hmm. And then you are playing the, the various tones and humming and vocalizing along with it. So the client gets an incredible amount of proprioception and, and vibrational input. And that was kind of my first aha moment that I started creating lots of different interventions that provide proprioceptive input, because it was a way for me to really help them with their self-regulation when they were in, in a chaotic state, overstimulated, over aroused. Uh, maybe had tactile defensiveness, etc. Um, and I ended up also developing a technique. I, I studied a lot with uh, speech pathologists and occupational therapists 
um, that were well trained in sensory integration. Mm. So I developed a technique where you're kind of doing joint compression mm. and kind of rhythmic padding, also kind of using this combination of Diane Austin's vocal holding method where oh. you're, you're moving in between two notes um, and applying this intention, intentional deep pressure on a client's body. And when I did that the first time with this client, it kind of, he lit up and you could see everything kind of melting away and um, him being very receptive to that type of input. And so I kind of started thinking about how I can make, I mean, we always do this. So this kind of seems silly to say, but I was trying to decide as a music therapist, all of the things I could do to help my clients feel good. <laughs> I love it. it. It's it's such a simple way of saying, this is what I'm trying to do here. And yeah. effective. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted I wanted them to look at me when they saw me and go, this lady's going to make me feel good. You know, I'm going to be the feel good person. So I started creating interventions. I think that was kind of the, the gestation of creating interventions that were going to address their physiological needs. Mm -hmm. And through that, be able to connect with them on a deeper interrelational level once mm -hmm. I had addressed their physiological needs and um, done what I could to help fulfill them. Mm -hmm, to help them to self-regulate like it just it makes so much sense and I see um, how all of the different influences in your own learning and experiences have forged together in in creating what you've been able to do for hundreds and thousands of kids really because it all spreads out I, yeah. I do have one more question for you and about um, documentation. So I'm curious about um, what sort of documentation you can do using the MITM curriculum and, and does this capture both quantitative and qualitative documentation as well? Absolutely. Um, that was something that was very, very important to me. I know that every music therapist documents in a different way. Some are evidence-based, some are more narrative and qualitative. And I wanted uh, the Unitas TI platform to be a home for everyone. Mm -hmm. So you can take the goal bank and you can take evidence-based quantitative data on it using a simple four-point rating scale. And this four-point rating scale, again, when I was on faculty at CAP, I took it to our faculty. I was showing it to Nancy at the time. And, you know, it, it's four simple lines, but it had to speak to all the thousands of objectives. That was something that was really important for me was that Every program, every goal didn't have a different rating scale. Mm. I wanted to have the same rating scale to make it super easy for people to take evidence-based data because that can also be very anxiety-provoking. And I think that music therapists sometimes shy away from taking more quantitative data because they don't know where to begin and it's going to take a lot of time. You know, my staff at ET Music Therapy, they document in five minutes or less wow. and they're, they're doing it on three to five goals per client in between sessions. So 
You can use a rating scale. You can also do just narrative session notes as well. You can generate reports, instant graphs on your quantitative data collection, as well as uh, narrative reports on all of your session notes where you can put in soap notes, you can add signatures, you can have automatically, you know, the login for the date and the time and the therapist, everything is automatically stamped on the system. So I think it has a really nice balance of both types of documentation. You can also take frequency data, um, duration data. And, you know, how, how does that work for a music therapist? Because, you know, I'm of the belief system and I know everybody is different, but I really believe that a music therapist needs to be engaged and present in the the session and do their documentation after the session. Um, some music therapists document document during. And so when I'm thinking about frequency and duration data, I'm thinking about the use case of a parent being in the room or an aide from the school system or a care aide or caregiver, and they're sitting off to the corner and I call up the program on my phone and pass them my phone that has a little timer button or a frequency count button and say, here, can you tap this button every time you see the child look towards me or vocalize spontaneously? And that's data that anybody can take. But man, how cool is it after six months to be able to see that this child who only vocalized three times in a session is now vocalizing 50 or 60 times or the duration of their protest vocalizations or when they're dysregulated, the time is diminishing. That's the kind of data that we can take if we have a support system within the room so that we as the music therapist can still maintain a deep connection with the client um, and yet take data at the same time. So you've got all of those types of data. You've got task analysis. You can even do different types of data, very quantitative data. Um, and you've got a high level um, psychometrics uh, that you can derive depending on what's important to you. If you want to look across all of your clients and see how well they're doing, maybe you're noticing that your clients are doing better in the physical skill domain, but not so well in the social skill domain. So you can really look at more generalistic um, across your entire practice or your therapy center, as well as individual data and progressional development for each client. Okay, so you have absolutely answered my question because I can certainly <laughs> understand why a music therapist would want to access, yeah, these tools. This is that is kind of a game changer. Listening, yeah, I mean, I remember, and this was a long time ago during a practicum placement with a little piece of paper under the chair, trying to tick and observe what my supervisor had asked me to observe, and thinking oh, mental note, I'm never going to do this in my practice. But I also didn't <laughs> think that there was another way. And, yeah. and, and even as you're explaining it, I'm thinking, and what a simple yet profound way to engage the others who are in the room and to help um, family members and educators see change and progress and, and be a part of of evaluating what's happening. And 
wow. <laughs> but well, so many things like the reports and, and just everything you're talking about, I'm going, holy smokes, that's a lot. <laughs> well, I really, you know, when you said the word game changer, that's exactly the term I use. You know, this is, I, I feel so honored and blessed to be able to bring this to the music therapy community, because I do think it is a game changer for our industry. You know, if we want to gain funding, if we want to gain uh, national recognition, international recognition, we need to show what we're doing more. And that's really tough to do when you have to look through a bunch of different Google Drive or Microsoft Word files of all this narrative data that you can't really pull anything from um, except as a, a narrative summary um, and having that option to take very easy evidence-based data after sessions has really allowed a lot of our music therapy agencies and practices to be awarded for different contracts, especially different jobs um, when they are competing against other music therapists by being able to put in their proposal, look, you know, we're using this documentation system for this clinic or this therapy center. And, you know, we've got music therapists that don't just work with autism or with children that subscribe to the platform and use it. They're using it in addiction and mental health and seniors, et cetera. Um, and to be able to show the efficacy of our work, you know, we're speaking the language of the rest of the world when it comes to, you know, are those lines going up? And the bottom line, unfortunately, is money a lot of the time. And they want to be able to see and share with their board of directors where this money is going and what is the efficacy of the services that are being provided by this music therapist. So it has been a great support for a lot of music therapists to propel them uh, within the industry and increase their services, increase the hours, or just win new contracts as a result. Amazing. And that's something that we focus on talking a lot about here. And just, it, it, I was wondering if it was transferable and you have really answered that for us. So it has been a pleasure to have you, Esther. I think we Thank could easily you. talk for another 20 minutes, half an hour, and maybe we will again sometime. <laughs> oh, I would yeah. love that, Adrian and Kathy. It's It's been a real pleasure. And I just uh, want to thank you both for allowing me this opportunity to to kind of show, you know, what I'm hoping to help the music therapy industry in my own little way. You know, we all are doing such amazing work and everybody has different advocacy roles and different targets and issues that we're addressing. And I just hope that, you know, that I'm doing my part and uh, can help out the community with, with this program. You are. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Canadian Music Therapy Podcast. To learn more about resources from the show, please visit beyondthestudio.ca. Thanks for listening.